Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor and Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed. Hey, if you're getting ready for Christmas, be careful with the Christmas trees. If you're going to use a real tree, water, water, water. Keep it watered. When you get it home, cut off the bottom couple inches. Yeah, some people say it doesn't help. It does help. And you know what? Why take the chance if it's going to help or not? Cut off the bottom and keep water in there. The day you let it dry out is the day you can quit watering it because it will not start taking water again. But as long as you keep water going, you'll get much better life out of that tree. James, are you there? Yes. Okay. So... The tiles that you have up on that ceiling, the acoustic tiles, are they the little 12 by 12 tiles or are they the, the 2 by 4 size? No, sir. They're the 12 by 12, and they just look. I took the vent down so I could see the side of it. And yep. It's just a fiber, you know, uh, tile. Okay. As long as it didn't get to the point where it got soft and started sagging, you can actually paint it. Okay, well, it's not sagging. Okay. What you'll need to do is put a, a pigmented shellac on it. Uh, basically, a, a, it's a primer sealer. Uh, Zinser makes a good primer sealer. Um, and you'll, you'll put that on the water stains first. And because of, the, uh, because of it being an acoustic tile like that, I would really recommend you do two coats of the sealer. And then you can paint okay. the entire ceiling, and it, and, and it should look just fine. Is it, uh, are you we're talking roll-on? Yeah, yeah, you can do roll-on or spray, either way. Okay, Which, is there one you'd recommend over the other? Typically on acoustics, I hate to tell you this, but typically on the acoustics, the spray does look better than trying to roll it on. Okay. Um, I have one other question about a foundation. I have uh, a very small crack in one corner of the house i mean it's you can't put your fingernail in it but you can just see it's just a little fine rib and inside the bedroom i've never had a jagged edge where it went sideways but just over the window it just tore the the paper on the sheetrock okay and when you say near the corner is it like six inches off the corner no it's a couple of feet off the corner okay it's well, like underneath a double window. Yeah. And I just, I didn't want to call somebody foaming at the mouth from some, you know, place that wanted to put piers all over. You yeah. Know, it's not like I've got massive problems. I just wanted to. No, I, I, I think you better sell that house before you have just all kinds of trouble. I'm teasing you. You, you actually have nothing to worry about. Uh, all concrete cracks by nature. And if you go around and look at some of your neighbors' homes, you will find a hairline crack like that in every single one of the foundations. Okay. And All right. typically, if it's a foundation issue, it you, you'll end up with a diagonal crack above a window or door or something like that. Uh, when it's following a straight line like that, that's normally a sheetrock joint that wasn't taped and floated well. Okay. Now... Two things. All right. Well, that's, keep it keep it I moist can... around the foundation, 
And if you have okay. trees that are growing up around the house, you may want to consider having them looked at for root barriers because that's a huge preventative maintenance item. Well, I, I did have a big tree beside my driveway that was lifting the driveway, and I had it cut down immediately. And we did cut the – there was a probably a six- or eight-inch root that was actually headed right for the corner of our other, other corner of the foundation. So yep. we took care of that. Problem solved. Um, is there anything – if I tried to fix the, the little tear in the uh, sheetrock sheet – is there any secret? I've heard these these guys that are masters say, you know, if you'll let me come fix it, it'll never tear again. I mean, I, I don't believe them when they say that because I. Yeah. But is there something new that's on the market that keeps that that uh, paper from tearing? Yeah. You when you fix it, don't fix it with paper tape. They actually make a fiber mesh tape. And what you want to do is sand off the texture about uh, eight inches in each direction. And okay. then you'll use a box cutter to V out where the uh, crack is. You can peel off any paper that's loose and stuff that way. Use that mesh tape instead of paper tape. And you bed that in there, uh, float over it, retexture, and... You'll you'll be good to go for years to come. Okay, perfect. All right, I appreciate your show and appreciate what you're doing. James, you have a wonderful day and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you, sir. You bet. Bye-bye. When we left, I was talking with Joe. and Joe, you got some barns, you got some roof leaks, and you're wanting to see what you can do to patch them up without having to do a, a complete redo. What is the material on the roofs? Well, as you know, they're... They're about uh, 40 years old each. It's just that those sheets of tin. Okay. Uh, I don't know exactly what it's called. Corrugated metal? Yes, sir. Okay. And the whole, the, I, the leaks. Know, I, I don't want to spend a lot of money on them. Sure. I was wondering if there's something that, uh, you know, over the years and wind and rain and everything, uh, hurricanes, uh, you know, I'm sure there's places that need to be secured back down or whatever, but I don't want to spend a bunch of money. I was looking maybe just get something sprayed on them to stop yeah. the roof leaks. Well, and, and I was thinking when you were telling me they were barns, that, that, that that's probably what they are is corrugated metal. The first thing you probably have to do is go up and tighten the screws down, the fasteners, to get all the seams tight again. And yes, that's sir. probably in itself going to get rid of a lot of the leaks. Uh, the other leaks may be if you got some areas that are, you know, rusted through or something. But they actually make, whether you want to spray it on or roll it on, they make a roof coating that you can put over that uh, that's white in color and is, is nothing but a sealer coat. And it'll it'll buy you another probably 10, 15 years. Okay. Well, uh... So how do I find that, or what do I check into? Do I need to check with a roofer? Well, roofing uh, supply houses would have it, uh, as well as a place called White Cap. Now, White Cap has locations all over the place. Uh, they go by also the name uh, HD Supply, but uh, whitecap.com, 
is their website, and they can ship it to you, or you can go buy one of their locations and pick it up. John in League City, how are you? I'm doing well, Jim. Thank you. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. I have a question about Radiant Barrier. Um, We have a 25-year-old home, and we replaced the roof in 2008, and we want to get rid of the attic insulation uh, completely and put in a barrier up there to where we can keep things in storage in our attic because that's the only place we really have to do that. So can you help me out with that? Sure. Uh, I don't normally tell people to do this, but in a case where you're wanting to turn your attic into storage that way, truthfully, that is the ideal situation for using the spray foam on the roof itself. Mm-hmm. And your cool air from the house does migrate up into the attic, so it controls humidity, controls temperature up there, uh, and, and makes it where you can truly store stuff up there without having to worry about it degrading up in the attic. Now, norm- normally I don't tell people to use spray foam in the attic because typically what people are trying to do is they're doing the walls, the attic, and everything. If you'll leave the regular insulation in the walls, then you can use the spray foam in the attic. I just don't want the entire house sealed up with foam because it starts sweating inside. You get sick home syndrome, and it's just not good for our climate. But if you do just the walls and fiberglass in the attic or foam in the attic and fiberglass in the walls, you're fine. Okay, and what about the ridge vent and the eaves? The eaves all, of that, have... all of that would go away. You would just so, seal all all of that stuff would just be sealed up because okay. your your attic becomes air conditioned space basically. Okay, so the ridge vent could stay there, but it, we would just foam over that. Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's what I needed to know. I really appreciate your help and appreciate your show. Well, thank you so much, and you have a merry Christmas. All right. You do the same. We're going out to Cyprus, and Greg, how are you? Hello. How are you? Wonderful. Uh, I have a house that is not in a floodplain, but it's flooded five times. Um, You do uh, house lifting, correct? Yes, sir. Um, What's all involved in that, and is there a program that you might know of with FEMA to assist with the cost of that? Well, FEMA comes in and does areas, and normally they'll, they'll... You know, they, they have quadrants that they'll say, okay, we're we're going to get involved in these areas and help pick it up. The fact that you've flooded five times, do you happen to have flood insurance? Yes. Okay. Call your flood insurance company because, uh, and, and see if they will help you with it. Because sometimes if a place is flooded multiple times like that, they will put a lump sum to the project to help pay to lift it up. And it won't necessarily cover all the expenses, but at some point they're going to come to you and say, we're no longer going to cover this house because it's flooded too many times. Okay. And and that it's got to be raised. And so by approaching them, you can sometimes make an arrangement where, yeah, they'll they'll help pay for it. Uh, how big a house are we talking? It's a 2,600-square-foot, two-story. Okay, so... About thirteen hundred on the first floor plus two car garage. Yes. Okay. Um, so you know, really, you're talking about lifting up uh, something in the neighborhood of, you know, fifteen hundred square feet or so. Okay. 
So it really won't be that bad. How much water have you had in it? Uh, the last time was, I believe, six inches. And, and is that the most you've had? No, the most was about ten. Okay. Uh, what's involved when you got to do a house raising? The first thing you end up doing is getting uh, elevation surveys done to find out exactly how, what the elevation is of the house and what flood elevation is for the area. And what they're going to make you do is bring the house up to current uh, codes as far as how much above floodplain. In a situation like you're in, since you said you're not in the flood zone, you can probably take it up however much you want. If you've had 10 inches in the house on the worst time, i got to be honest, I personally would tell you to go a minimum of two feet because you've got to okay. have some safety room because as the as time goes on, Building's going to continue. Flood zones are going to change. And so you don't want to go 12 inches because you've only had 10 inches in the house. And then, you know, 15 years from now, here here we go again getting three inches in the house. Right. But what's the general cost I should be looking at? You know... On a house that size, you know, I'm going to throw you a really round number now. This is not looking at anything on it, uh, but don't be surprised if by time you're done, you've got somewhere in the neighborhood of 80000 into it. Okay. Okay. Because... Not only are you going to be lifting the house, you've got to redo the plumbing under the house and, and other things like that, and all of that adds up, you know? Right, right. Okay, I thank you very much. That's kind of what I wanted to know. Well, that wasn't a good Merry Christmas present, though, was it? <laughs> Metal shipping containers are becoming increasingly popular for storage units, shops, agricultural uses, home building, and more. I want to buy a 20-foot container to make a climate-controlled storage unit on my property. I am having a 36-inch personal door and AC mount for an 8,000 BTU window AC installed on the container. I plan to finish the inside with wall framing and electrical. However, I am going crazy trying to figure out how to insulate the walls on the container. The internet has so many different ideas, and I don't know what to do. The most common suggestion is closed cell spray foam, but that may not be available in my rural area. I have looked at radiant barrier, bubble wrap, fiberglass mats, rigid board, and others. Also, should the insulation be against the wall, inside the studs, or outside the studs? Moisture seems to be a problem with metal containers. Any insight you have for this dilemma would be greatly appreciated. And I think that qualified information on insulating metal shipping containers could spread like wildfire through the metal shipping container community. If you could reply to my email, I would be grateful, but I will listen to your program as I am able. Thank you for your service to homeowners everywhere. And uh, that came in from Stephen. And here's the thing with metal containers. I, I, I built metal containers into living quarters actually back in the early 80s, uh, about 1983. They were using them on offshore 
well, not just offshore, but they were using them for drilling, uh, for housing drillers and such. Because sometimes uh, some of the out-of-the-way areas where they do drilling, it's too far to go into town to, to get a hotel room and stuff. So they would set these containers we built on site. There is a sweating problem with metal containers if you allow the cool air inside to touch the metal the warm metal from the outside and so you know back when i was doing it the spray foam insulation really wasn't available so we had to use fiberglass insulation and we actually would use plastic wrapped fiberglass insulation and push it all the way up against the metal and and try to pack it in tight enough where we didn't get air penetration in order to minimize the sweating but absolutely with the availability of closed cell foam insulation without question that is the way to go because it seals to where the metal doesn't touch the cool air so that eliminates the sweating the closed cell will not absorb water so even if there was a minor sweat somewhere it's not going to cause any issues and inch for inch the foam's going to give you the highest R value of any insulation available. Now, you hear me all the time tell you don't do an entire home with closed cell because of sick home syndrome. When you're dealing with these metal containers, those things are already sealed. And so by sealing it with the foam insulation is not going to make any difference. But it will help you to be able to climate control that unit much better. So absolutely without question go with the closed cell foam insulation if you have trouble locating it in your area and i know you get out in the boondocks you may not be able to find it they do make portable bottles that you can use yourself it's pricey don't get me wrong it can be very expensive but it is available to do that way but the other thing you got to remember is the the trucks and trailers that they use for that foam insulation, they can drive out to anywhere. So it's really just a matter of finding someone willing to make the trip. And those units are self-contained. They don't you don't have to have electricity on site and things for the application typically, because they've got their own power source on the trucks and trailers. So I hope that helps you out. And yes, that is becoming extremely popular um, it, as far as a way for uh, building inexpensive homes and things like that. Uh, I will tell you, when you build it out on the inside, rather than using 2x4 studs, take a look at using the 2x3 studs. And the reason for that, you don't need structural strength out of the 2x4s. You're simply having it there so you've got something to nail all the sheetrock or, or finished wall products too. Doesn't sound like much, but that extra inch on each side gives you two more inches of width inside that unit. And trust me, when you start building this thing out, that two inches is going to become extremely valuable. But with the spray foam insulation, you won't lose any R value. The other thing I would do, I would take a look at putting a radiant barrier in there as well for double protection. What is the best way, other than repainting, to refresh the door? It does receive the sun, and we do have a storm door. Been using lemon oil, but I think you may have a better idea. Thank you. Well, doors do need to be refinished periodically. In between time, though, if you just need to clean it up, 
get some oils back into it and things like that. Uh, a mixture of boiled linseed oil and mineral spirits will clean it up. And you can use this on furniture, cabinets, all that. Any, any true wood surface that's been uh, stained and, and sealed, basically take and mix boiled linseed oil and mineral spirits at a 50-50 consistency. Use a double knot steel wool to clean up. It'll take all the oils and grimes. And, you know, like if in your kitchen, when you, you cook bacon and things like that, you get grease up in the air. It gets onto the cabinets and then dust starts sticking to it. It just it just becomes nasty. And this will clean it right up and put oil back into that wood so it maintains the wood and everything. You know, with the way the weather is this week, and I know a lot of people have been looking at hanging Christmas lights, and you're, you're debating whether you want to get out there and do it or not. Well, let me give you some really quick tips here. If you haven't already started hanging your lights, don't use nails. Nails puncture the wood, they puncture the paint, and allow moisture to get back and start to flake the paint off and rot the wood. They make these plastic clips that you can slide up under the shingles or clip them on to gutters. That, and the same clip works for both, whether it's, it's a gutter or up under the shingle. They do no damage, very easy to install, reusable. And when it comes time to take the lights down, man, is it quick and easy. Now, I've, been used, I've bought a set of these clips probably, gosh, it's got to be 10 years ago now. And I'm still using the same ones. Yeah, I did have to go buy another box last year because I, I added more lights to the house. But they are so quick and easy to use. I really recommend you take a look at them. Um, and there, there's many different styles of, of these clips. But realistically, the main thing, no nails, no staples. Because both of those puncture the paint and cause problems in the long run. Avoid all that and just use those little plastic clips that slide up under the shingles. And, and it kind of comes and in, in swirls around, uh, and the lights just kind of hang on it. it. It's very simple to use, and if it's on the gutter, it just slides over the top of the gutter. So just a little quick tip there for you. I've heard polyurea coatings is much better for concrete garage floors than the traditional epoxy coatings. Do you know... What would hold up better? Well, there are all kinds of different coatings nowadays. And yes, depending on what you're going to do in the garage, some of the newer coatings will hold up better than some of the older coatings. Uh, one thing that you got to remember is our Texas sun is rather unique. The, the tires on your car can overheat. You roll in on uh, the floor coating, and if you got the wrong coating down... It peels it up. Uh, there is a company, Garage Living, who actually specializes in redoing garages, not only the floors, but you know also the cabinets and organizing, you know, getting you organized in your garage and stuff. And uh, they have some some very very good floors that they put down. You may want to talk with them. Uh, the number for Garage Living is 972-335, I'm sorry, 972-355-2281. And uh, just, you know, call them up, talk to them, and 
they can get, they can get you you know going in the right direction depending on what you're going to use the garage for because not everybody uses the garage for just parking the car. Charles, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Thank you for taking my call, Jim. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I'm glad you called. My patio have begun to have some cracks in it. You know, lines and the lines are getting bigger. So, what causes it, and how can I stop it, and how can I stop it from happening again? Well, all concrete cracks by nature, and the reason we have steel and concrete is to hold it together when it does crack. So, how old of concrete are we talking about? Oh, it's probably I would say I would say probably fifteen, twenty years old. Let's say twenty years old. Okay. I know it's fifteen. Yeah. And how wide are these cracks? Well, I would say that uh, if this first was just a line, now it's probably about I would say it's probably about um, uh, probably about one fourth inch now. How how long? So about about one fourth of an inch. Okay. One fourth of an inch. Yeah. But it started out being just a little bit of like a like a um, a line. Then now it's starting to get wider and wider. Are you yep. following me? Yep. And you know what that indicates to me is the steel reinforcing in the concrete either isn't there or it has is failing. And what what happens a lot of times, I'm I'm going to make the assumption that there is steel there because it's 20 years old. If it didn't have steel, it probably would have cracked up a long time ago. But it more than likely has wire mesh, and the wire mesh it inevitably ends up under the concrete. So yes, it holds for a little bit, but it's when they're pouring the concrete and they're out there walking on the patio, they're they're pushing it down below the concrete so it's it ends up with just a little bit of concrete on it but it, it'll start to rust and because it's just that little wire it rusts through relatively quickly and then what what you're seeing happening where the concrete starts separating is what happens you're going to end up living with this until you don't like it any longer take that concrete out and pour new concrete and when you do the new concrete use rebar instead of the wire mesh Number three rebar on 12-inch centers, it's able to be kept up in the middle of the concrete like it's supposed to be because you can put it on chairs or bricks or something to support it up there. It leaves room for the finishers when they're pouring the concrete to be able to walk and not step on the rebar and push it down. And then over time, you know, because it is so much heavier than just that uh, eighth-inch wire, uh, it, it just holds up so much better. Uh, you, you really, it'll it'll outlast your lifetime and mine. Um, you know, my patio has a uh, my patio has a has a has a wall all around. The wall is about two feet high, and then from there, it's like a stream goes up to the uh, up to the roof or to, to the. Okay, so you have an enclosed patio. Yeah. So now, but the wall, the concrete wall, is about two feet all the way around. Uh-huh. And then from, from the two feeders, you got a thing that goes up there. So is that going to be a big problem for them to come in and do that, or are you going to tear that wall down? Well, if the if that concrete wall is sitting on the concrete, it would end up being taken off as well. A lot of times, if you look, that concrete wall is a perimeter beam, and then the concrete is poured inside of it. 
And if that's the case, they can take that inside concrete out without taking the beam. But you would, you should be able to see a little joint there if that's the case. Okay. Final thing though, what can I do right now to stop it from getting worse? Because I don't have, I don't think I can. I'm talking, I'm not prepared to go in there and, and do that and do that deal right now. Yeah. I'm not prepared to go in there and, and tear that thing up right now. That's gonna take some thinking to do that. Oh yeah, and, and quite honestly. You you could get another 20 years out of the patio probably without doing it. Those cracks will tend to grow further. Uh, one thing you could do if you want in order to buy you a little more time is have those uh, those cracks epoxy injected. And basically okay. what they do with that is they kind of grind it and uh, they use a really liquidy epoxy to go down into it and it bonds the two concretes together and if it's okay. a really wide crack they mix some sand in with the epoxy in order to fill the gaps you'll see okay. it you'll see it no question but it does bond that concrete together and buy you a lot of time and really if you don't want to look at it you can paint over it <laughs> okay hey, thanks a lot i do appreciate the information i really do appreciate it thank you so much you bet charles you take care jason how can i help you hey how's it going all right. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, so I've got a, a second-story um, bathroom that's um, tiled, 18-inch uh, tiles, and right about smack dab in the middle of the bathroom, I guess you consider it a uh, high-traffic area. Um, one of the tiles is flexing um, enough such that some of the grout has started to come up, uh -huh. And so I don't know if I'm missing a joist there, if there's something wrong with the subflooring, and I don't know whether to call a flooring person or a general contractor. Flooring person. A flooring person, and, all right. Yeah, and more than likely what's happening is, is when you put tile down, you've got to have a good, solid subsurface. And if they only put one layer of plywood down, it has a little bit of flexibility to it. And since uh, you, the bigger the tile, the more likely it is that it's going to become rocky and pop up on you. Okay. Uh, in or, and normally what you have to do is have two layers of plywood in order to make it stiff enough that it doesn't flex that way. Okay. So do you think that would be something, if, if it were to be missing a, a, another layer, would that be something that would have to be done to the whole bathroom? Yes. Okay. Now, they, All can right. maybe, they can maybe reattach the, the, the tile that you have right now, and that would buy you a little bit of time. But definitely, whenever that floor comes out, you'll want to get another layer of plywood under it. Great. All right. Thanks for answering my, my question. Thank you, J Jason. You have a good uh, day and a Merry Christmas. I had a uh, email question that just came in really just a minute ago. Before determining if solar panels will have a reasonable payback, should the house have radiant barrier installed during a roof replacement, and should the house interior lights be retrofitted to LED? The roofer recommends doing solar while the roof is being replaced. Windows in-house are energy efficient, as well as HVAC and appliances. Not sure how good of a payback there would be if the root causes are fixed first and shouldn't they before installing solar seems the solar is a band-aid approach given the cost and should radiant barrier be used in any part of the u.s radiant barriers should be used everywhere in every home 
It's a technology that really is underutilized. Insulation is is good. Don't get me wrong. And insulation helps with sound and everything else. But a radiant barrier blocks the heat transfer. That's the reason it's used so much on space stations and and spacecrafts and things like that. Uh, granted, they use some insulating factors as well, but radiant barriers are a big part of it. Uh, as far as uh, solar, you know, if you're going to put a roof on the house and you want solar, that is a great time to put solar up there so that all the fasteners and everything can be detailed with the new roof. Payback on solar, though, I think you're somewhat looking at this wrong. It's not a Band-Aid approach. Obviously, you're wanting to save as much on your energy as you can, and the lower amount of energy usage you have, the less solar panels you have to have, which reduces the cost of the solar panel installation and everything. I will tell you right now what makes solar panels affordable is all the tax rebates and tax credits and uh, rebates from the energy companies and things like that that you get when you install the solar panels. If you had to go out and pay full fair market price for all the, the uh, solar panels and stuff, it really isn't cost effective right now. But because they incentivize it so heavily, it really does become cost effective to take a look at solar at this time. So once the solar's on there, it's there to use from here forward. Got about a 20, 25 year life expectancy, and then you got to replace it. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you next weekend. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com. 